Today, we're going to start our study in the Old Testament, and we're going to go through the book of Jonah. And so over the next couple of weeks, when at least when I'm up, we'll be preaching through Jonah, going verse by verse as we do, looking at that. And I, I pray that God brings you understanding and joy, because Jonah is amazing. All right. So let us pray. Lord God, we thank you for your word. God, we thank you for preserving your word, God. Oh, Lord, your word is food to our soul. God, you are so good. We see who you are, Lord. God, we get to see what you've done in times past. God, all of you, your mercy, your grace, your wrath, Lord, thank you for preserving your word. God, thank you for the instruction and the correction that your word gives us, God. Oh, Lord, we praise your name, God. We ask for understanding today, God. I pray that the understanding that you've been just giving me throughout the week, God, that you bring that understanding and even greater to my brothers and sisters here today, God. May they go forward with this word, your word in their heart. Oh, God, may we fall more in love with you as we study your word. Your word brings life, Lord. God, reduce me, Lord, reduce all of my fleshly sinful ways, God, all of my man natural tendencies, Lord. Oh, God, reduce that and just put me out of the way, God, and allow your word to go forward. Thank you for your truth, Jesus. Amen. All right, the book of Jonah. When I mention the book of Jonah, what's the first thing you're probably thinking about? It's a fish. When it comes to Jonah, we often think of the fish, right? You think of the kid's book, right? Anytime the kids are reading book, got a picture of Jonah and a smiling fish. Or, you know, it has a whale usually on there, right? So you're looking at kids' books and it's normally Jonah and he's smiling and you got the whale and he's smiling and it's Jonah and the whale or Jonah and the fish. And that's typically the cover of most books when it comes to Jonah. But Jonah's really not all about the fish or the whale. The whale or the fish is only mentioned in, in 11 verses of Jonah. That's not the main crux of Jonah. It's not all about the whale. It's much deeper. It's much bigger. The other thing about Jonah we know from Jonah, Jonah is Jonah was a prophet, right? That's what this book tells us. Jonah was, he was a, a prophet. And we know that Jonah was a prophet because in verse 1 of Jonah, it says that the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amadi. And we know that when a scripture or Old Testament book says the word of the Lord came, it's normally speaking to a prophet, right? Mm -hmm. So we know that Jonah truly was a prophet. You can look at the, the book of Micah and you see it starts off talking about the word of the Lord came to Micah. Or you can look at Zephaniah and that Old Testament book starts off by saying that the word of the Lord which came to Zephaniah. That's how we know these are prophetic books, right? Because it says that the word of the Lord and Usually in these Old Testament prophetic books, whether major prophet or minor prophet, that's how we separate them traditionally, uh, major prophet or minor prophet, usually the prophet is prophesying about Israel's sin, right? Usually he's prophesying about Israel's injustice. Those prophetic books are mostly or normally about God's displeasure with Israel. 
And so it has God's wrath coming as a result of what they're doing. So normally when it comes to prophetic books, they're talking about God's displeasure with Israel. And if it's not his displeasure with Israel, the book of Jonah is it's normally about God's uh, wrath that's going to come on Israel's enemies, which are God's enemies, because God identifies himself with Israel throughout the scriptures. Right. And some of Israel's enemies were the Assyrians. You had the Babylonians. Those were Israel's enemies. And because they were Israel's enemies, they were God's enemies because God often identifies himself with Israel. They were his children. So their enemies were his enemies and vice versa. And if you remember in our discussion on justice in the gospel, we talked about how throughout scripture, there's a theme or a motif of God rescuing his people from their enemies. We see that in Genesis with the serpent. Well, God is promising that the serpent's head is going to be bruised. He's going to be defeated and crushed. And so we find that theme throughout scripture. Well, God is identifying with his people. And so the prophets are normally giving us something like that. But that is not Jonah. I said all that to say that is not the book of Jonah. The book of Jonah is not a type of book that is about prophecy, but it's about something else. Matter of fact, Jonah's message, his prophecy, guess what? It's only in one verse. <laughs> it's Jonah's sermon, if you will, or his prophecy is only in one verse, really. It's chapter three, verse four, where it says, uh, it says, then Jonah began to go through the city one day's walk and he cried out and said, Yet 40 days and Nineveh will be overthrown. That is it. That is it with Jonah. That is his prophecy. That is his sermon. That is his message. One little verse. One little verse. Nineveh is going to be overthrown. 40 days, you're going to be overthrown. Think about that. Think about Jonah in comparison with Isaiah the prophet, right? In the book of Isaiah, you have 66 chapters. 66 chapters, and most of those chapters are about prophecy. They're about prophecy of what's going to happen to Israel, the kingdom from the north that's going to destroy the kingdom of Israel. It's, it's about God redeeming Israel. That is what you find in most of your prophetic books. You find the prophet telling Israel what God is going to do, how he's going to destroy their enemies. But again, the book of Jonah it's not that way. That's not Jonah. So if Jonah, it's not about prophecy, really. That's not the main focus. Then what is the book of Jonah about? If it's not prophecy, like we see in most of our minor and major Old Testament books, if it's not about God's displeasure, just going to crumble Israel and all of their enemies, then, then what is Jonah about? What makes Jonah unique out of all the Old Testament books, minor and major, is that the book of Jonah is about Jonah. <laughs> it's, it's about the prophet. It has an emphasis on the prophet and, and his misfortunes and, and the things that he's, he's done. It's, it's about Jonah. And the book of Jonah is also about the mercy of God, we'll see. That's what you also see that the book of Jonah is about. It's about the mercy of God. And in this little, little book, only a few little chapters. You also have some major topics that are discussed. You have disobedience that's discussed. 
You have God's mercy put on display. You have repentance brought. You have grace being shown. You have God's loving kindness being shown. And some would even say that you have nationalism and our racism being shown in this book, in this small little book. That is what you see. And not only in, in Jonah do we see God's loving kindness, but in the book of Jonah, guess what else we see? We see a foreshadowing of the gospel. We see a foreshadowing of the gospel. We see a foreshadowing of Jesus. And not only do we see a foreshadowing of the Messiah, but in Jonah, we can also see a picture of ourselves. So that's why this book of Jonah is just such a powerful, amazing book. So let's really dig into this, this book. Now, today, we're just going to do a few verses. Really, we're going to do the first three verses. And, and that's it for today. So let's just read that. And the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amadi, saying, Arise and go to Nineveh, the great city, and cry against it, for their wickedness has come up before me. But Jonah rose up and fled to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. Wow, Jonah. So he went down to Joppa, found a ship which was going to Tarshish, paid the fare, and went down into it to go with them to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. Wow, that's Jonah for you. Now, the thing that stands out with Jonah when we first jump into this text is his actual name. The name Jonah means dove, right? Dove, a little flying bird, dove, right? That's what Jonah means. And his, the last name, Amadi, that means loyalty or faithfulness. So think about this. Jonah, when his parents named him, they said they, they looked at Jonah and they said, wow, you are going to be a faithful dove, right? A faithful dove. And think about what is a dove? A dove is really soft, right? It's, it's, it's really gentle. It's really just, just chill. But that does not describe Jonah at all, right? Jonah is the furthest thing from a faithful dove, right? That, that, is, that is like the opposite of what Jonah is. Jonah does not live out his name, so to speak. But that shows us something, though. It shows us that God uses the most unlikely people to accomplish his will. I'm reminded of the Apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians chapter 1. Verse 26 to 29, where the apostle says, for consider your calling, brethren, that there were many, there were not many wise according to the flesh, not many mighty, not many noble. But God has chosen the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. And God has chosen the weak things of the world to shame the things which are strong and the base things of the world and the despised God has chosen the things that are not so that he may nullify the things that are so that no man may boast before God that nobody can boast. So you see me up here teaching. I'm one of those weak things. I'm one of those little foolish things that God is using for his glory as a tool. And guess what you are, too? He's used in us all for his glory. God, if he can use me, if he can use me, he can use you. Right. So we see that God is using Jonah and Jonah truly was the prophet, even though we if you've read the book of Jonah, you know, he did mess up. But Jonah truly was a prophet. Um, we know this because of Second Kings, chapter 
14 verses 25. Outside of Jonah, the book of Jonah, the only place where his name is mentioned is one other time, which is there in 2 Kings verse 14 to 25. There, Jonah is on record prophesying that the, uh, the northern kingdom, Israel, that they would extend their borders, their territory. That was under the reign of Jeroboam II. And so he made this prophecy under Jeroboam II, which allows us to kind of lightweight date the book of Jonah. Since Jeroboam was in the 8th century, we can say that this book, most scholars would say, was probably written somewhere around the 8th century B.C. Because that's when Jeroboam II was ruling and reigning. And we see that's when Jonah made the prophecy and that's when that prophecy came to pass. So it's a good chance that that book, that this book of Jonah was written then. So Jonah made a prophecy and this prophecy really did come to pass. So we can say, okay, hey, Jonah is a prophet. So now the text starts with, again, the, the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amadi. When, when I'm looking at this verse, the thing that stands out to me is that he says that the word of the Lord came to Jonah. I say that because I often hear sometimes, even in myself amongst believers, where we say that, man, I wish that God spoke to me like he spoke to people in the Bible. Right. We say, I wish God would speak to me like he spoke to Jonah, that his word would just come to me and just fill me and I would know it was him. And my question would be to you is, do you really do you, do you really want this this word to come to you like it's coming to Jonah, like it came to many of the prophets? And I say that because, uh, matter of fact, I want to quote to you something that Oswald Chambers says about that, about God's word coming directly to us. Oswald Chambers, if you are not familiar with him, he was a, a well-respected minister and he's known for his daily devotional, my utmost for his highest. And um, Oswald Chambers said this in his commentary on Exodus 20, verse 19. Exodus 20, verse 19 says this, And they said unto Moses, Thou, and they said unto Moses, Speak thou with us and we will hear but let not God speak with us, lest we die. And on his com and on his book, Chambers states this. He says, "Why are we so terrified, lest God should speak to us? Because we know that if God does speak, either the thing must be done, or we must tell God we will not obey." We must tell God that we will not obey. So when you say, when you're saying, I know the sentiment, God, I just want you to speak to me like you've done in the scriptures. I just want a word. Please understand that that word that you're looking for might not always be the convenient thing. Because oftentimes I've heard people say that the word of the Lord came to me and it's often for some type of benefit to themselves. But please understand that voice that you're looking for. It may be a, a voice that's saying, hey, you have to get up and move your family to Iraq and go be a missionary there is not always the most comfortable thing. See, that, that voice could be something that is not something that's just beneficial and something that's really easy to go into, but it could be something that is a very challenging thing. I, I, I think about myself when I went to Mexico a few years ago. I went to Mexico and I went to always say I went to real Mexico. I didn't go to the tourist hotel destinations. No, me and my family, we went to a village. A, a small little village. And I remember after coming back from, from Mexico, I mean, like, matter of fact, the, the hotel that we stayed in, it didn't even have hot water. You would have to go downstairs and knock and say, can you cut on the hot water? I mean, it was really just, it was, it was a different world. And, and I remember going back, back to the United States. And I remember calling my pastor and I said, 
Pastor, I want to do God's will, but if God called me to go to that place in Mexico, I would not be wanting to go. I was like, because it, it was just so different. It was just something that I don't think I would be able to handle. And so when we go and look at Jonah, we got to kind of put ourselves in those positions so we can see what's going on. So the word of the Lord comes to Jonah. But that word was not an easy word. The word of the Lord, it came to him and it says it, the word of the Lord told Jonah to go to Nineveh. Now, what you must understand, Nineveh is not just a cakewalk. Nineveh is not saying, let's go to Hawaii, Jonah. All right, let's go to the slopes or the, the Alps. That, that's not where Jonah has been directed. He's been directed to Nineveh. And Nineveh at this time, it was the capital of the Assyrian Empire. The capital of the Assyrian Empire. Guess what? This Assyrian Empire is the same empire that would wipe out the northern kingdom, the 10 lost tribes of Israel. It was the Assyrians that ended up wiping them out in 722 B.C. That's the same Assyrians that Jonah was called to go to. I don't know if you remember uh, a little while ago when Pastor Brian was talking about Jonah, he mentioned how heartless the people were that when they would go and they would take over a town, they would grab all of the leaders and they would literally skin them alive in front of the people. Grabbing all these and just skinning them alive. See, that is where Jonah was directed to. That was the Assyrian army. That Jonah was directed to. These people were ruthless. Guess what? They were so ruthless, the Assyrians, that you have an entire book of the Bible dedicated to their demise. Do you know that? Have you ever read the book of Nahum? That whole book is dedicated to the destruction of Nineveh. A whole book dedicated to your destruction. That means that you were some really wicked folks. And, and that is what we have in Nineveh. They were they were wicked. And in accordance with Nahum's prophecy, Nineveh did ultimately get destroyed in uh, 612 B.C. by the Babylonians. So the Babylonians went in and destroyed the Assyrians. And remember, the Babylonians end up destroying the kingdom of Judah and taking them in there. So we, we see that Nineveh ultimately did get defeated as in line with Nahum's prophecy. So. Again, I'm saying all this that you may see that Jonah was being directed to a place that is not easy. He was directed to a really worthless people. They were so bad that we see in this text here in our verses that their wickedness has reached the heavens. Look how verse two goes. It says, arise and go to Nineveh, the great city, and cry against it, for their wickedness has come up before me. He says their wickedness has come up before me. In the Hebrew, what this is basically saying is that their wickedness has risen up before the face of God. Can you imagine that? You're you, you you so just wicked and evil that your your unrighteousness, your wickedness. This text is saying that it has risen up to the face of God where God is now going to act and God is going to do something. So the scripture says your wickedness has come up to God. There's another place where we see this type of language being used where something is coming up to God. And that's in the New Testament with Cornelius, the centurion. Do you remember him? In Acts chapter 10, we, we find Cornelius, a, a Gentile, a Roman, a non-Jewish person who feared God, but he had given charity to the Jewish people. He was a, a man of faith. He had a great prayer life. And what we find happening in Acts chapter 10, Acts chapter 10, verse 3 tells us that, that Cornelius gets a vision. 
that, that an angel comes to him and, and tells Cornelius that his charity and his prayers have ascended up. Just like we see with Jonah, the, the Ninevites, their wickedness has ascended up where God is now going to do something. And we see with Cornelius, his, his arms, his prayers have ascended up and God was now going to send Peter to him to preach the gospel to him. So we see God acting and moving at his time. That's, that's the point that I want you to see. Some would say, but God could have acted upon Nineveh at any time that he wanted. But no, God chose at his right time when he chooses to respond to Nineveh's wickedness. God chose at the right time when he chooses to respond to Cornelius's prayers and his almsgiving. I just want to encourage you by that, by seeing that God responds. Know this, that God will respond in his timing. You don't give up on your prayers. Don't give up on your hope. And God's perfect in right timing. God will come through. But he's the one that's sovereign to do that. He's the one that's going to determine when your prayer, when that situation has come up before his face and he's going to act. But you, my brothers and sisters, you, you keep praying. You keep hoping. You do not Give up on God. So we see there too, the wickedness of the Ninevites has now come up to God. And here's the beauty of this verse. Here's the part that gets me so excited about this verse. Because in verse two, it says that the wickedness comes up before the face of God. But what does God do when the wickedness of these polytheistic Heathen Gentiles come up before his face. What does the Lord do when these people who worship multiple gods and multiple idols, what does the Lord do to these people who's known for bloodshed and just riding and stumping over bodies as they go through and, and kill and take the lives of people? What does God tell Jonah to do? What happens? God sends mercy. He sends Jonah to go and warn the people of the destruction that is going to come their way. That is not how you would think that it would happen. You would think that God is just going to drop the hammer, that God is just going to outright destroy these wicked people. But he doesn't do that. He gives them a second chance. He sends Jonah the prophet with a message. He doesn't destroy them. We see God showing mercy and compassion to these polytheistic heathen Gentiles. My brothers and sisters, what you're looking at here with Jonah in chapter two, you're looking at the mercy of God. He does not give them swift justice. See, justice would say that you've done the crime, you're going to get the time. Or justice would say what you've broken the law, the punishment is coming to you. See, my brothers and sisters, when it comes to our sins before God, it's not justice that you want. Why? Because none of us would be justified. What you want is mercy. You want mercy. And that's what God offers. He offers these wicked Gentile Ninevites mercy. And guess what? The reason that God could offer these wicked Gentile Ninevites mercy and, and all of the Old Testament people mercy, the, the reason that the father could offer them mercy is because the father knows that there is coming a lamb. 
There is coming a person in the form of God, his son. There is coming Jesus Christ who would take upon the sins of the world. All of the sins that God passed over would be taken care of at the cross. See, do you see that Jesus Christ is not only the mercy of God in human form, but Jesus Christ is the reason why God the Father can display that mercy to us. Outside of that, it would be unjust. But he can display that mercy because he knows that the Son is coming who will hang on a cross to absorb all of the wrath for the sin of man. That's why Romans 3.25, Pastor Brian went through it. So he said in the forbearance of God, meaning God not showing uh, judgment, God showing restraint when he could have just destroyed. He passed over the sins previously committed. See, that is God's mercy and grace displayed to all people. The mercy you've getting is only because of Jesus Christ. The mercy that all of Israel received was only because of Jesus Christ. God could have just destroyed him and wiped him out, but he passed over because there was coming a lamb who would take on all of that sin, all of that unrighteousness, all of that. So we praise Jesus for that mercy that has come our way. So that is good news there. And you see some people say that in the Old Testament, God was merciless, but no, the people that say that, they're not reading their Bible well. Because we see that here, God's mercy is coming to the Ninevites. He's not destroying them. So I have a question for you, my brothers and sisters. When it comes to the ills of society, when it comes to people that we see out on the streets, what is your first thought? Is your first thought law or is your first thought mercy? Let me put it another way. When, when you see a homeless person on the street, a person who may even be homeless by their own doing, their own drug use, or, or, or if you see a poor people or poor communities, people who may be in poverty by their own doing, or, or when you hear the talk surrounding immigration, what is your first thought? It's your first thought, law? No, they deserve that. They, they did that to themselves. No, we have rules here. No, that's how it goes. Or it's your first thought, mercy and compassion. What is your first thought? Is it law or is it mercy and compassion? And when I read my Bible from Genesis to Revelation, I see mercy and compassion being displayed. I see that right here in Jonah. I, I see that in Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount, how he teaches me to love my enemies. What is your first thought? It's your first thought, just, ah, oh, they did it to themselves. No, oh, they're drug addicts. Ah, oh, that's on them. Ah, oh, that's, they shouldn't have bought that. That's their fault that they're in poverty. Oh, we, we have, no, forget, forget the, the immigrants. Don't, don't worry about them. Um, no, that's, we have laws. What is your first thought? Believers, thank God that his first thought towards me was not. That, that it was mercy and compassion, that he didn't just destroy me. But we see that God offers mercy and compassion towards the Ninevites. But what does Jonah do with that mercy and compassion? What does he do when he hears God telling him to go? The scripture tells us in this text that Jonah runs away from it. 
he, he runs away from the Ninevites. He, he, he runs away from the mercy and compassion of God. He, he, he runs away. And the scripture doesn't say that Jonah ran away because he feared for his life. Yes, the Assyrians were bad, but that's not what the scripture tells us. It doesn't say that he ran away because he feared for his own safety. But as you will see in chapter four, and we will dig into this later in the study, he runs away because he knew that if they repented, God is gracious and compassionate and wouldn't destroy them. He, he knew that God is loving and kind and, and would be restraining in his mercy. That, that is why he ran. You see, Jonah, he wanted the Ninevites to be destroyed. He did not want them to receive mercy and compassion from God. That is why he ran. He didn't want them to receive mercy and compassion. See, Jonah was blinded by his own heart. He was blinded by his own will. And he forgot about the glory of God. See, he, 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 he was running. He forgot about how the, the Ninevites and the Assyrians were worshiping false idols. And that glory should have been given to God. And so he should have been rejoicing that maybe they would repent and, and God would receive glory. He forgot how they were violating the, the law that God has placed on our heart. And by doing all of these sinful things and by his preaching, they may turn and begin to walk in God's way. See, see Jonah forgot about the things of God. He forgot about the holy things, but Jonah thought about his own will. Totally forgot about that God wasn't getting praised by these Ninevites. He totally forgot that God wasn't getting worshipped by these Ninevites. He wasn't concerned with, John, with God's glory. He was concerned with his own. He was concerned with his own will. I think it was John Piper that says this, that missions exist because worship doesn't. Meaning that the reason that we go on missions is because there are people out there that are not worshiping God, that are not serving the true and living God. Jonah didn't think about that. He was not excited that they would maybe repent and now be worshiping God with him, that he would now have a new brother or sister in the faith. That, that was not at all his thoughts. His thoughts was, I don't like these Ninevites. I'm a Hebrew. I'm getting away from these people. I don't want nothing to do with them. That was Jonah's thought. God's glory was not in his picture. And, and one of my struggles with this text, though, when I, when I read it, I read it and I say to myself, Lord, I, I know I'm a sinner. I, I know I've sinned and done great things, but I don't ever remember hating someone so bad that I didn't want them to get the mercy of God. I, I never remember hating someone so bad that I just wanted their destruction and demise. And, and this thought came to me about people, families, and friend, friends, and, and loved ones that maybe they've suffered a tragedy, and if the perpetrator did it to your family, friend, or loved one, you would probably feel some type of way towards that perpetrator, and you wouldn't want to feel that way. So, for example, imagine if your family member, your loved one, your friend was violated, I'm going to go a little deep here. Imagine your family, friend, or loved one was raped or molested, which is not out of the realm of possibility of the Assyrian army. If this happened to people that you love and God instructed you to go and warn them, to bring them to a repentance, guess what? It would not be easy. You would be just like Jonah. You would be ready to flee. 
I've seen many court shows where the parents are family members of victims. They storm through the court. Why the perpetrator is standing trial and they begin to try to beat him and the bailiff is grabbing him. Why? Because that family member is so hurt that this person has violated their family member or loved one. So imagine if God called that same family member to go and warn that perpetrator that God is going to destroy them in 40 days if they didn't repent. That, that, that family member would be like, God, they don't deserve your mercy. God, do you, do you know what they did to my family member or friend? God, do you know where they touched them? God, do you, do you know where they violated them? God, do you know what they did? See, we would be probably more like Jonah. So that is why we have to take a step back before we pick up the stones and start judging Jonah. See, Jonah's running from the presence of the Lord because God's will was not his will. See, oftentimes we, we will say that we, we want the presence of the Lord. We want to be in the presence of the Lord. Yes, we want to be in the presence of the Lord. But as soon as that voice begins to speak and say something that goes against your will, how quickly do we want to jettison the presence of the Lord in God? I think in my own life, when I'm going in prayer, when I'm going in deep prayer and God is giving me all this revelation and thought, and then all of a sudden this, this thought comes in my mind and it's something that goes against my will. And I find myself getting up and saying, God, you want me to go talk to that person? Really? God, you want me to do this with my money? God, you want me to go serve them this way? I, I, I'm not sure that was really the will of God. See, that, that's what happens when we're in the presence of God and, and he tells us something that goes against our way. Then we begin to start guessing maybe that wasn't the will of God. Why? Because that's too difficult for me. That's, that's too much. See, that, that is what's happening here with Jonah. Jonah's will and God's will are at odds. And, and Jonah said, I'm doing my own will over your will. So that's why I'm fleeing the presence of the Lord. So believers, we want the presence of God. But you got to understand when you're there in that presence, there may be things said to you, things revealed to you that go against your will. The question is, will you flee like Jonah? Or will you get up and do what God is showing you? Now, here's the beauty of this. Here, here's something. I don't know if you've ever seen it. Oleg, do you have that map? I want to show you something here. If you've never seen this, this will blow your mind. And two, I wish I had one of those pointers. So God tells Jonah, get up and go to Nineveh. Jonah was from, uh, from Gath-Hepper. I don't have a pointy thing, so I'm going to step over here uh, without getting in the way. Joppa's down here. He does something, right? Jonah's up near Gath Hepper. Jonah comes down to Joppa. Where's Tarshish? <laughs> Tarshish is right there. Guess what? Nineveh is that way. <laughs> but do you do you see now what's happening here with Jonah? Jonah. He's going the exact opposite. Not only is he not going to do God's will, he said, I'm not going nowhere near his will. I'm going the exact opposite way that God told me to go. See, this is, this is like God calling me to go to Los Angeles and defiance I head to Canada. 
Do you see that that is just that is just totally going the opposite way of where God is calling you to go? And so I guess in Jonah's mind, God wasn't in Canada or Tarshish. And so he's saying, I'm going to go there. You can you can uh, close it down. Ollie. But that's the, the point that I want you to see what Jonah was doing. He's going the exact opposite way. He's doing the exact opposite thing that God has told him to do. He's doing his own thing. And, and not only that, but we, when you look at the text, it says that, but Jonah rose up to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. Three. Then it says he went down to Joppa and found a ship which was going to Tarshish and he paid the fare and went down into it to go to Tarshish. So, I don't know why Jonah on his way down to Joppa, it didn't occur to him because I know Jonah had good theology that, that God was was omnip, um, um, omnipresent, that like Psalms 139, that God is everywhere. I, I, I don't know why God, why Jonah just that didn't dawn on him that even if he went to Tarshish, even if he went to the bottom of the boat, that that God's presence is still there. But but something is I mean, Jonah even. Jonah even used his money. I mean, Jonah went and worked, what, 40 hours a week? And he, he went and used his money from working 40 hours a week to go and buy a fare to run from the presence of God. How does that sound? All of that to run from the presence of God. When I read this about Jonah's erratic behavior, I, I'm reminded of an old Dave Chappelle skit. Um. Dave Chappelle, he's a comedian, he's a secular comedian who had a popular show back in the early 2000s. In one of his episodes, and let me say this for some of the believers who may think it's offensive that I'm using Dave Chappelle. Um, Paul uses the culture to make his points. We look in Acts 17, he quotes a pagan philosopher to make his points. So please don't, don't pick up stones. You can use culture to make a point. So anyways, so Paul, he, I mean, uh, in this, in this skit, this Dave Chappelle skit, um, you have this, this really popular singer. Some of you may have known his name was Rick James, right? It's way back in the 70s or 80s. I think he was popular. And so in this skit, you have Rick James. And they're asking Rick James, they're saying, Rick James, why did you do all of this foolish, crazy stuff? They're trying to under, he's explaining this life and they're, they're wanting to know, why did you do all this crazy and foolish stuff? And every time they asked Rick James, he would say this. He would say, cocaine is a heck of a drug. And what he meant was that the drugs made me do it. The reason that I was doing all these foolish and crazy things that makes no sense. He's saying that the drugs made him do it. And in the words of Rick James, guess what? Sin is a heck of a drug. Sin will cause you to do crazy, outrageous things. I mean, I've gone up seeing drug addicts steal from their kids and go and sell the stuff to get the money to buy the drugs. Sin will make you do some foolish things. Just like a generation that said that love will make you do some crazy things, sin will make you do some crazy things. And even I'm sure some of us, as we look back on our own lives, we look at the many foolish things that we have done. We realize and we say, oh, my goodness, what was I thinking? I was so stupid. Why could I ever do something that crazy and outrageous? See, we were just living out our inner Jonah. We were doing the exact opposite of what God called us to do. 
And like Jonah, guess what? In many of those cases, we knew what the right thing to do was. But yet, guess what? We did it. But yet we smoked it. But yes, we drank it. But yes, we engaged in the act. But yes, we encouraged unrighteousness. Yes, we participated in injustice, oftentimes knowing it was wrong. Why? Well, the Apostle Paul would say in Romans 7, 17, it's sin which dwells in me. As Pastor Brian instructed us last week, that is why we ought to continually be putting sin to death in our flesh and in our mortal bodies. But as we do that, as we put sin to death in our flesh and mortal bodies, guess what? We keep our hope where? In Jesus. And the reason I say this is because, see, this, this book of Jonah, it does not just teach us about ourselves. It's not just a book of, hey, you just try harder, try harder to be more obedient, try harder to follow God. That is not the major point of Jonah. But Jesus teaches us this in Luke 22, 44-48, that the entire Old Testament is about him or points to him and his coming. And more specifically, Jesus points to Jonah in Matthew 12. Go with me to Matthew 12. I want you to see this. Matthew 12. Look at verse 38 and 41. Thirty-eight to forty-one, and right here, look what Jesus says. It says, "Then some of the scribes and Pharisees said to him, Teacher, we want to see a sign from you.' They want to see something from Jesus to show that he's really somebody." But he answered and said to them, "An evil and adulterous generation craves for a sign." He says, yet no sign will be given to it, but the sign of Jonah, what the prophet. For just as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the sea monster. Look at our translators here. You can make an argument there, but we'll let that go. Um, so will the son of man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. 41. The men of Nineveh will stand up with this generation at the judgment and will condemn it because they repented at the preaching of Jonah and behold, something greater than Jonah is here. They repented at the preaching of Jonah and he says, behold, something greater than Jonah is here. So what we get from this text and our understanding of what Jesus said in Luke 22 is that Jonah is a type of Christ. Jonah is foreshadowing, foreshadowing the work that Jesus would do. See, we see in verse two that in Jonah, that Jonah is called to go to the great city and preach. Jesus is called to come to what? The world, the great city to preach. Jonah's going to go and bring light to the wickedness of the Ninevites. Jesus is going to go and bring light to the wickedness, spotlighting the, the, the evil and the wickedness of man. The intended outcome of Jonah's ministry is the repentance of Nineveh. The intended outcome of Jesus is the same thing, the repentance of sin, turning from sin and turning to God. See, 
Jonah is foreshadowing what Jesus would do. Jesus is the greater Jonah. He's the holy one. But the major difference between Jesus and Jonah is what? We see that Jonah received the call from God to go and he disobeys and does his own thing. But Jesus, when he receives the call to go and put on human flesh, what does Philippians 2.8 tell us? The scriptures tells us that he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. So not even nails in his wrist can stop Jesus from doing the Father's will. Not even mocking and spitting and scourging can stop Jesus from carrying out the Father's will. Jonah was defeated just at the thought of the mission. But Jesus, God in the flesh, puts on human flesh, goes and takes nails, goes and takes beating, goes and takes a spear in his side. You and I. Jesus is the true and greater Jonah. When you look at Jonah, you can't help but to see the seed of Adam in Jonah. The disobedient seed. You can't help to see the seed in our own disobedience. But when you look at Christ, you can't help but to see the seed of righteousness. See, we all fall short and mess up like Jonah. But we must remember that there is a greater Jonah. We must remember that there is a greater Jonah in Jesus, guess what, who has not fallen short, but who has kept the will of the Father perfectly. And by faith in his name, guess what, we enter into that perfect obedience, that righteousness, that the perfect obedience, the perfect obedience of the greater Jonah, that righteousness now is accredited to us. That's the real Jonah. That's Jesus. I want to end by just sharing this with you. I was listening again to the Gospel Coalition, their, their annual conference, which is really good. And in the Q&A, there was a guy, they were talking about uh, evangelizing or, I think it was like evangelizing, evangelism to the youth or something like that. And he, he brought out something. He was talking about how in youth ministry on Sunday night, um, you had all these youth thinking, oh, man, I need to just try to be just perfect and holy person throughout this whole week. Man, I hope I don't mess up. I hope I just live a perfect right life because I want to be right with God. I want to earn his favor. And he said that he would tell the youth, Jesus already lived a perfect week for you. You can't earn God's favor. The week you're worried about, Jesus has already lived it perfectly for you. The point is showing them that you can't work to earn God's favor. So while we may slip up and mess up like Jonah, we must remember we got Jesus who didn't mess up, who kept, again, the Father's will perfectly. And so when we fall short and want to guilt down ourselves and think that, oh, I didn't do all this right, we got to go back and look at the greater, the greater Jonah, knowing that he kept God's will perfectly and that through faith in his name, his righteousness his standing with God would be accredited to us. It's not about you. So praise the Father. Praise Jesus. Praise the Holy Spirit. Amen. Let us pray. <clears throat> Heavenly Father, God, we thank you for your word. We thank you for your mercy and compassion. 
Oh, Lord, we thank you for just being so kind to us, not destroying us, but having mercy, leading us to your son. Oh, you are the greater Jonah, Jesus. You saved my soul. Thank you for coming and bringing the gospel to me, opening my heart to receive your truth, to believe it and trust in it. Lord God, allow your word to just stay in our hearts throughout this week, God. May we remember that you are the greater one who has perfectly kept the Father will, Jesus. We thank you for your truth, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen.